And the subject of today's teaching is reflection of Christ. Everybody say reflection of Christ. Now, I started something, I made a statement a couple of weeks ago, preached on it last week, and it has not found a way out of my spirit, and that is this concept of the Hebrew language, the word olam, everlasting to everlasting. We're going to come back to that and spend more time on that soon. We're not today, but I just want you to know, and and especially those of you who have been sending me emails and texts and how that's ministered to you, thank you for doing that. I, I want to let you know as a house, we will be moving into that more in depth in the weeks to come. Um, Right now, I want to share with you today this word that he has given me about being a reflection of Christ because I know, because he put it in my heart, I know this is the time to help us understand what it means to be his. What does it mean? As I was sitting there this morning and I was kneeling and I was worshiping, and I would encourage you to do this. Let me say this to everybody. Everybody worships differently, and from time to time I will say things like this. I encourage you to get outside of your comfort zone. Whatever comfort, comfortable worship is to you, I would encourage you to step outside of that. You know, some years ago, I'll use an example. In the tithe and offering, I was with... Uh, Apostle Ball up in Panama City. My wife and I were there for seven years. And my mentality when I first went there was as a tither was that what was required of me was 10%. And I use that word required intentionally. Because what I found myself doing without realizing it until I heard the right teaching, what I found myself doing was only what was required of me. And when I was doing it enough to where the requirement became second nature, there was no longer any faith involved in it. It simply was, I've learned to budget, to tithe the required 10%, therefore I did it. And then he taught a message. My wife and I were traveling at the time to churches around the East Coast, and we were traveling, and I missed uh, a service that he had preached. So back then we had cassettes. Uh, you know, it's this little white thing, in case those who don't know, it's this thing about like that that had tape in it that would sometimes get caught in the radio. But we would get these cassettes when we would miss, and we were driving to a church up in, um, I don't know where, Chicago. I think we were headed to Chicago. And we were driving up there, and we took this tape, this cassette, and we put it in our van, and we began to listen to it, and it was about stretching yourself. And the first thing that he talked about in the first example that he used was tithe and offering and he said you know and I'm not receiving tithe and offering right now that you can if you choose to right now but we'll come to that momentarily I'm using this as an example and he said if you're tithing 10% because that is what you believe scripture asks for well and good but he said if it doesn't require any faith on your part fruit comes out of our faith fruit comes from what we do in faith And if you're tithing 10% and it's become so redundant, so robotic to you, that it's no longer an exercise of faith, but it's more of an exercise of uh, repetition, muscle memory. What can you expect from that? 
certainly the father's going to honor 10%. But what if you stretch yourself and get outside of your comfort zone? What might he do with that? And man, that was like an explosion in my mind at that point. And I looked over at my wife and we were looking at one another. And for both of us, at the same time, we received this revelation and understood, man, we have not been giving in faith for a long time. I dare say there's people under the sound of my voice right now, you no longer give in faith. You give because it's repetitious. You wrote your check before you even got here today. You might have written it. You got paid Friday at 3 o'clock, Friday at 3.05. You had written your tie check. That's good. But there was no sense of, Father, what, are you saying anything to me in this? Are you asking me for a different perspective? Let me go past that. So my wife and I looked at her and I said, Babe, we're not giving in faith. We're giving out of repetition. We no longer have to trust God to do this. We've come to the place now where that 10% tithe that we're giving has become so uh, planned and so budgeted, it, it's not even a thought. And we did exactly what I said a moment ago. Well, I'd get paid on Friday or when I, whenever we'd preach somewhere, uh, they'd give me a check and I'd immediately write a tithe. And I felt good about it, man. Here's my tithe, 10%. What is it exactly? It's, here it is, and to the penny. And I'd give my 10%. Whoa! I'd feel good about myself. And I'd send that check in, send it back home to the Rock of Panama City. We'd go about our business. Then when he preached that word, I told my wife, I said, we got to stretch ourselves. We need to get back into the faith mode because this doesn't cause, create faith anymore. This doesn't ask for faith. So we did something for her and I that was a very big stretch. And I said, we're going to increase our tithe and offering to 12%. And so we did. And man, that required faith. I mean, there were some churches we would go to and we would preach for, and the offering would be wonderful, it would be awesome, and it would support us for two or three weeks. We'd go to other churches, kid you not, we'd go to other churches, preach for an entire week, and we'd walk out of there, specifically one particular church, we'd walk out of there with a t-shirt that said, Jesus Christ, the real thing. That's all they gave us. They didn't pay for our hotel, they didn't pay for our food, they didn't pay for anything, they just thought they were doing us a favor by giving us, like we didn't have clothes, they didn't like what we were wearing. We were there for seven days, preached every single night, a couple times a day, actually, a couple times a day, left there, and they gave us a T-shirt that said, Jesus Christ, real thing. So glad you came. Thanks for coming. When they invited us back, I called them up, and I said, we will not do that again. If you're not going to receive an offering, a love offering for us, and cover our expenses, and so on and so forth, you are not worth our time. We cannot afford to come there and do this. And we did. And I was glad that we did that. And I can tell you it changed that place. And I can tell you we still have a relationship, at least Facebook relationship, with that place today. But we had to stretch ourselves. So I say that this morning in the same way. I say when we come in and worship, and as I was kneeling here this morning, and, and I encourage you, sometimes we get to the place where in our time together, in our worship, we walk into the building, Kevin, and we come in here, and even your shirt today that says, says experience different. We need to get some more of those shirts. But when we come into this building, and there's this sense that we walk in, and there's, we, we fall prey to our muscle memory self. This is where I stand. This is how I worship. This is how I sing. These are the songs that are going to move me the most. I'm going to respond differently to this one. I'm going to do this to this one. But what happens when we get outside of ourselves and we say, you know what, this is what I find myself doing. What's the next thing? What will require faith in me? Because I'm going to tell you, Yahweh honors faith. It is through faith where the fruit grows biggest. 
So what does it take if I bring myself to the point, and I just encourage you today, I, I love to teach and I love worship, I'm a worshiper, I recognize when we sing every Sunday, I can't help but reflect on all the different ways that he's changed my life. Even this morning as I was kneeling down and I was just doing, literally, I'm a free worshiper, so I don't know what else I might do. Uh, This morning, my stretch was just simply doing a little bit of a dance move that I had never done before. That was a stretch for me. I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust you to do this. But when I think about these things, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? Because I want to position myself outside of what I can do all the time. I want to express to you that I am not intimidated by the unknown. I'm not intimidated by the space that I've never been in before. But instead, I'm going to embrace it. Well, you, yeah, but what, what, how does it look like to everybody else? You know, I hope you'll come to the place where I came to a long time ago. I really don't care what other people think about how I worship, and I hope you can come to that place. My prayer, you can. My prayer is that you get to the place where you're not concerned about the person to your right or your left, even your husband or your wife, how they think about how you worship him, how you honor him. But I encourage you, stretch yourself, get into the place, that space where faith exists. Say, Father, I am taking this a step further today because you're worth it. Somebody say he's worth it. Is that good? Can you receive that today? Well, in all of that, I use that to say this. That is what a reflection of Christ looks like. It is getting outside of me. It is getting past me. Let's begin today by reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you would please either join me in the app or turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin with verse 1. And before I do that, I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to really help us to see. Holy Spirit, help us see today what you want to show us. Help us hear what you want to reveal to us today. And may we be changed by all that you show us and all that you speak to us. Today, let every life be changed. Those who are watching online, those who are present in this building, those under the sound of my voice that are hearing this message at whatever point it might be. It's always in your present. It might not be in theirs. At whatever point they're hearing it, let it change their life so that you are glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I, when I came to you, brothers, verse 1, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come trying using trickery. I didn't come trying to be the smartest guy in the room. I simply came talking. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I love the New King James uh, translation there because my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of man's wisdom. I love how that is read in the New King James Version. But instead, in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us only through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things that He has freely given to us and come only from God. And we impart this in words that are not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, everybody say, but we have the mind of Christ. There's three things that I want to touch on today, and I want to go back to basics. I want to go back, and I don't want to use that word basics. I want to go back to some foundational truths here today to release to you and me to help us to understand what it is that Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church and why it's so important that he expressed this teaching in the way that he chose to express it. I want to begin with the first point, and that is to put aside what is irrelevant. Everybody say this with me. I need need to put aside... What is irrelevant? irrelevant? I want to refer back to the scripture that we read just a few moments ago. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except, everybody say except, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I chose not to come to you. I know things, but I did not choose to unload those things on you. I came to you with my mind completely focused on Jesus Christ in the crucifixion, the reward of his crucifixion. That's what I've coming, I'm coming to you today. I am putting aside everything else that is absolutely irrelevant. What I'm having for dinner today, what I'm doing at work tomorrow, what's going on in my family life this, this week, all of those things right now are irrelevant. Paul said, I come to you with challenges, no doubt about it. In me, there are things that are going on. I know there are people that want to kill me. I know there are places I want to go. Holy Spirit doesn't want me to be. I know there are people under the sound of my voice that think I'm haughty or that I lift myself up. Those things are irrelevant to me. No matter what you think and no matter what I think, No matter what I'm aware of that is going on in my life today, those things are irrelevant because what I've come to you with today is this message, the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the crucifixion, the power of the resurrection. I've come to you with this message so that you can know that there are things more important than what's going on in my world. Did you get that? This Wednesday, when we were at intercession, uh, each week for the last several weeks and for the next couple of weeks coming, Jenny Kerner has had different ones speak on a different spirit of the Lord. And this week, as they were speaking, the teacher was teaching, and we began to talk about language. As I was listening to them talk, my mind went to the language that we speak. 
they're writing on the dry erase board and they're writing certain things and, and they'll write a word like olam. You know, that word that we used last week and we talked about last week, that Hebrew word olam, which means, ever, it means more than everlasting to everlasting. That's just the best we can do in our mind. And they, she was writing things on the board and the teacher was writing things on the board. And as they were writing these, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, these are not things that the average person, the person outside of the church would wrap their mind around. These aren't things that someone who is not keen to the Spirit of the Lord could wrap their mind around. And then I begin to, Holy Spirit took my attention to the fact that before the Tower of Babel, the only language that existed was the language of God. Track with me what I'm, talking, what I'm saying right now. Before the Tower of Babel, the only language that existed was the language of God. So as I'm listening and I'm watching, as they're writing on the board and they're writing different interpretations of different words, and Shaviv did an incredible job teaching what she taught this past Wednesday. And as she's writing down some of these things, and she's drawing little arrows and arcs, and she's doing all these things, and I'm listening to the vocabulary that she's using, and I thought to myself, I thought... If I walked in this room and I were not a believer and I was not privy to some of the background of what we're talking about right now, I would be completely lost in my world as to what was being spoken. But here's the irony. It is this, that before the Tower of Babel, before mankind thought that they were so spiritual that they believed an equal seat with God was right for them, Before man believed that, the only language that was spoken before that time was the language of God. It was not Hebrew. It was not English. It was not Arabic. It was not whatever you want to put in there. It was the language of God. What God, how Yahweh and Adam and Eve spoke to each other was not any language that is being spoken on the earth today. It was none of that. It was a language reserved for those who had the right to commune with the Father directly. There was no interpretation required. What you said on one side of the planet to the Father and what He said to you would make sense to somebody who might exist on the other side of the planet that was talking to Him. It was the same language. And my mind began to go to this point and I began to think about the things that were said and I began to put in place much of what this word olam, we envision this because it's a Hebrew word, but if you can take that and you can translate that word into the language of God, it would be as though as we're hearing this word spoken or these words spoken, when we talk about arcing and we talk about striking hands and some of the things people wouldn't understand, even using the name Yahweh, which is the name he gave himself, for some people that would be so bizarre However, think about this. Before Babel, this was the language everyone spoke. It isn't that something new is happening. It is that we are returning to our original intent. It isn't that this language is weird and bizarre and outside the norm. It is that what has become norm is not what God originally intended for us to speak. There is a correction taking place. There is a shifting. So what the Father is doing, see, because here's the problem. In the church world today, in the church world today, the church is striving 
might be argued in some places. But the church is striving, certainly those who are within the church. There are too many people that are striving to be able to communicate in such a way that the world understands. I think we err when we do that. I think we err when we try to figure out how can we say these things so that the world gets it. I've been guilty of this. Because sometimes I worry, well, if they don't understand, if it's just a tinkling, tinkling brass, how are they going to know what it is we're saying? I'm going to tell you because the Spirit of the Lord will identify what is of Him and what is not. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. So as we begin to think about, and I begin to think about these languages Wednesday morning, and and I've thought about that more throughout this week, and I just begin to focus on, Father, what your original language doesn't make sense to most people today, because most people are not allowing themselves, in the church or out of the church, are not allowing themselves to actually transition into what you originally intended. See, we might say, in the natural mind, going back to last week, we might say, and I know I'm getting a little bit deep here, but just try to track with me. If it's too deep, don't try to, don't try to force it. If you don't get it, it's okay. Listen to the podcast. But going back to last week, if we can understand this, it's not going back to an original language. The original language that looks like we're going back to is still present in God. The original language that we think we're going back to, well, we can't go back to that because that was the past and the Father's saying, I have no past, nor do I have a future. I am. So whatever time you exist in, I am right now. And if you can get that, you're just trying to catch up. You think it's going back to the past when in reality you're trying to catch up. Is anybody getting any of that? I don't want any explosions of the mind in here this morning. But I want you to see and I want you to hear. So when we say things today, and, and again, the church has manipulated, the church has done exactly what occurred at Babel. That's another study. We could go back to another. I can't get into that today, but I'm just say this real quick. The church is doing exactly what they did at Babel when he confused the languages. So that no one, this one couldn't understand that one and that one couldn't understand this one. So what they did was they began to try to find interpreters. They begin to try to find people, tell me what they're saying, because now you've learned multiple languages. That was never the purpose or intent of God. So what the world has done, and, and I'm just digging, I'm just, I'm thinking, so I'm talking. And that's how I do. If you don't know me, this is, I do this sometimes, most of the time. So what the world is trying to do is, it's, it's, it's even the church is, is going back to that same Tower of Babel. What we're trying to do is we're saying, okay, I'm going to know God because this is the language he gave me, so I'm going to function in that language. But God didn't give you English. (laughs) God didn't even make you American or Asian or German or whatever you might be. (laughs) You got to get it. If you can get this, this point is really going to make sense to you. I said it was going back to foundations, but we're, we're digging a little bit deep. We're just digging a little deep. We won't, we won't make this hole too deep. We'll come back to it another day. But he didn't make you American. He didn't make you whatever you are as far as nationality. He didn't make you whatever you are as, or cause you. He didn't say this is your language that you're going to speak. He didn't do that. What he did was he said, I'm going to breathe my breath into you. And in that breath, it includes my language. 
There is no linguist more linguistical than Yahweh. Now, I want to charge you today with what I'm telling you right now. I want to invigorate you. I hope that there's like an electric charge that's going through your body right now, your mind, your spirit. I hope that you're able to separate. Right, let me just stay, stay on track, Steve. I want that. I'm just, my mind is going so fast right now with what Holy Spirit's showing me. If you can get what I'm telling you today, the language he intended for you And if you can tune yourself to the voice of God, I want to tell you, you'll begin to speak a language that's God's language. And you'll begin to refer to things the way He does. When we, see, when we say olam in the Hebrew, and we do our very best to give an interpretation to it, everlasting to everlasting does not measure up. But here's the cool thing. We use olam because our mind can get that. That's the Hebrew word for everlasting to everlasting. But let's take it a step further. Olam does not measure up to Yahweh's original language of what it means to be infinity before and infinity after. Is anyone even seeing any of what I'm telling you right now? Are you seeing that? If you can see it, it can change the way that you... Perceive the moment that you are in right now. <laughs> man, I got whoa, man, my mind, my, my whole spirit is just, I got lightning bolts coming out everywhere of things he's showing me right now. I need to be taking notes while I'm preaching. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'll go back and listen to the podcast Tuesday. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Think about that for a second. That's not the language that the world was speaking. Think about that, Scott. So what we do is we try, the church tries, and let me make this, a point, this point. The church does its best, tries its best to make sure that we are understandable. We are relatable. We are... That we compromise our language enough so that others can interpret it. But here's the problem. Every time we shift from the language of God, we water down the meaning of whatever it is we're trying to say. Because there's no valid interpretation that completely fills that word. Therefore, it requires something. The Spirit of God. The only way to interpret the moment, we'll get to that in a second, but the only way to interpret that moment is the Spirit of God. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm going to put aside what is irrelevant. So I'm going to say to you today, I want you to learn, I want you to trust Holy Spirit to help you to put aside everything that is irrelevant. When you are walking with Christ, you want to move into that place where the Father begins to explode in your mind and your spirit? How many want to do that? Somebody might say, well, I'm already there. I'm already walking in that place. Well... Let me ask you this. When you were getting up this morning, you came here. How many things got in your way and kind of fumbled you up a little bit and frustrated you just a bit? Don't tell me. But how many things frustrated you before you even got here this morning? You let them get in you. 
You let those things get into you. You let those things begin to work in you so that it took your mind out of what you're supposed to do. Those, irre- those things that were supposed to be irrelevant suddenly became relevant. Now, how are you going to minister out of that? Now, it's possible that somebody could say, well, wait a minute, Steve Parker, you're the preacher, so I don't have to worry about preaching, so I'm not ministering out of that. I can be as frustrated as I want, and I can get all tied up in all these irrelevant things because they're, they're relevant to me right now. I'm very worried about my mom this afternoon. I'm very worried about my brother tomorrow. I'm very worried about whether or not I'm going to get my raise that they promised me tomorrow. I'm very concerned about all of those things. You're the preacher. I'm going to worry about these things. You make sure that you don't bring irrelevant things into the message. But here's the thing, aren't you a minister? Are are you not a minister? When you got up this morning, were you not a minister? Is there, is the breath of God in you? If the pneuma of God is present in you, And even Numa doesn't even capture. Now that we think about it, oh, stop, Steve. If the breath of God is in you, there's something in you he wants to release. How many opportunities, I wonder, do we miss if we were Paul and Paul had stood up there and instead of saying, I decided to know nothing among you, I put everything aside except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. It would be so easy for us to interpret that as, man, Paul just didn't have anything going on in his world. He had so much more than you. (laughs) Nobody came to your house, tried to kill you because you had a Bible in your apartment this morning. What if Paul had gotten up and said, I really want to minister Jesus Christ and him crucified to you this morning. But the problem is, I have so much on my mind. I am consumed with fear. I'm consumed with doubt. I have no idea tomorrow if I'm even going to be alive. I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, but I know exactly what's going to happen when I go. You want me to minister out of that? Paul said, I decided this, I came to you and I've chosen not to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything that's going on in my world is completely irrelevant. Everybody say irrelevant. Can I tell you today, I want you to come to the place where no matter how deep the valley is in your life, no matter how high the mountain is that you think you've got to climb, no matter how difficult the pathway is you've got to walk, doesn't matter how many stub toes you get, I want to tell you, all of those things are irrelevant in relationship to who Jesus Christ is in your life. Not only who he is in your life, but who he wants the Christ in you to be in someone else's life. So look at somebody beside you. Look to the person somewhere around you and say this to them. Say, put aside what is irrelevant. It really isn't that important. Now see, here's the problem though. Because we are human. Because we do have Adam, and I taught a series, uh, a message some years ago that I would encourage you to go back and listen to. I can't remember the title of it now. We can look it up if you're interested. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to a series that I did some years ago, and it was about the mind, the body, and the spirit. I mean, the spirit, soul, and body. 
And I talked about the soul, and the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions of man. It is that, those, that place where three, th- three things occur, occur. Our mind begins to work. We have emotions related to what our mind is thinking about, and our will responds to what our emotions provoke us to do. I talked about that and shared about that. I want to tell you today that most people, most people get caught up in that soul place where everything that they do for the kingdom of God is relative to what they're feeling. It's relative to that. In fact, I'll I'll say this. If we put aside what is irrelevant, I'll say this. I wonder, I, I don't want any show of hands, but I just wonder, and I'm talking to you online this morning as well, if you're watching online or you're listening to this uh, down the road, but I just wonder how many people this morning when you came in here, you found it very difficult to lift up your hands and worship him because you were so weighed down with what happened this week. You just could not get past it. Well, good Lord, I mean, Jackie did this, and Johnny did that, and Ricky did this, and my boss said this, and I go in this week, and I'm just, I'm just frustrated. Uh, but I am, bless God, I'm going to church today, Jesus. And I'm going to lift my voice, but it's not going to be real loud because there's a lot of oppression going on in my world right now. I'm just not really feeling it today. My soul just doesn't really feel like glorifying God today, but you know what, I'm... I'm Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him in the morning. I wonder how many people this morning were reluctant. I wonder how many people got up this morning, you were drinking your coffee, and you even processed for a moment. You thought, do I really need to go today? I mean, I got 32 things on my to-do list, and I, you know, do I really have time to go today? I wonder how many people really just wrap that around their mind. I wonder, some of you that are sitting at home right now on your couch, you should be in this room right now. Shame on you. You did exactly that. (laughs) When you come to the rock, you're going to get the truth. I'm just going to tell you. I'm ashamed of you. Hopefully today you get a revelation of truth, and you find out that you can actually be stronger than the weak self you are today. I feel like Paul sometimes. Paul did that. Jesus did that. Jesus called people. He said he called them whitewashed sepulchers. I haven't done that yet, but I've come real close. I'm not trying to drive you away. What I'm trying to do is drive you awake. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So they... We process and we think and we don't, instead of putting aside what is irrelevant, we wear what's irrelevant. We wear it. Woo! We walk in that door. AJ, you see what I'm wearing today? This is my bad job uh, review this week. I'm going to wear that today. Oh, Johnny, what you wearing today? Oh, this hat? You like that hat? Yeah. That's that guy that yelled at me this week or ran me off the road and I wrecked my car. I'm wearing that today, baby. I earned it. Oh, what's those shoes you got over there? Susie, I love your shoes. What are those shoes? Oh, let me tell you about these shoes. Man, it took me a while to get these shoes. This week, you wouldn't even, this morning, when I got up, you wouldn't even believe what happened. My dog peed in the floor, pooped on my carpet, my cat. Tore things up. You wouldn't even believe all that happened today. I'm wearing, I'm wearing these. I'm telling you, I'm wearing these. And these are my, don't praise Jesus shoes. These are my, think about my cat shoes. Because these shoes, that's what's relevant. 
That's what's important to me today. Are these shoes, and I'm going to wear them, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows I'm sour. The way my boss was this week, I'm going to make sure everybody knows I'm bitter. Get me a mad face on. Nothing went my way. I didn't pass my class. Oh, man, you don't even know. That t- that's a whole wardrobe. I'm going to wear that thing, man, all in one day. I'm wearing that. My husband didn't treat me right. My wife didn't treat me right. My baby didn't sleep. Name it. Man, we, wear, we walk through those doors. Woo! Let me show you what's relevant. Boom, man. You feel it. People walk in the doors like, oh, my God. <laughs> they come in the right side, and you quickly go to the left side because you're thinking, man, whatever they're wearing, I don't want it on me. <laughs> Meanwhile, we tell one another, go and greet them with a brotherly hug. <laughs> go get some of that all over you. <laughs> Love on them. Love that off of them. Sometimes we need to come in and we need to strip ourselves, come in completely raw and naked, naked, not physically, not naturally, please. But we wear this thing and we, we make these things. I'm, I'm just asking this morning, how many this morning you came in? Some of y'all, the reason you're laughing is because you're thinking to yourself, well, I was wearing that today. <laughs> And then you thought, and now what you're thinking is you're thinking, I missed an opportunity. We were lifting our voice. We were lifting our hands. And I'm doing this because all I can think about is what Johnny said or Susie did or Ricky did or what I didn't get or what I did get that I shouldn't have gotten, where I should have been and I didn't go, where I didn't go and I should have gone, how it should have been and it didn't work out like that. All I can think about is the dish I dropped this morning or the coffee I spilled on my white, whatever these are this morning, vans. It's true. It happened. And my pants right here. I got coffee on my white pants. I had a white horse, but I was afraid I'd hurt it with some, get mud on it. Just kidding. But we wear that stuff, and we come in, and we, man, we just, we just wear that stuff in, all the things that are going into our life. And the Father says, man, I hope I can do something with you today. I hope I can work with that. Paul said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I came to y'all. And you know what? I got a lot going on in my world. There's a lot of cloaks, a lot of garments, a lot of shoes, a lot of pants, a lot of shirts I could be wearing today. But I stripped myself of all of that. And what I did is I put on the garment of God. I clothed myself with his voice. I clothed myself with his word. And I'm coming to you today knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's what I've come to you today with. And I've come to you today because I don't want you thinking about all the things that I thought about when I first got up, but I have put that aside. I'm going to tell you today, put aside what is irrelevant. Look to your neighbor. Look to someone around you and say, put aside what is irrelevant. Now ask them and give them an honest answer. Say, can you do that? Everybody's like, you know, it's one of those head nods where it goes both ways. What did they just say? They said, And then rely on the spirit of truth. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That's explosive. 
Rely on the spirit of truth. Man, what I haven't seen, what I haven't heard, the places I haven't, my heart hasn't been changed. I'm telling you today, there is people that they're not relying on the spirit of truth. They're not relying on those things that the Father wants to reveal by his spirit. What they're relying on is, man, if I can find it on Google, it will define everything. When 99% of what you'll find on Google isn't even the truth. Or Wikipedia. It's somebody's truth. It's not his truth. Rely on the spirit of truth. If I want to be a reflection of God or a reflection of Christ, I need to rely on the spirit of truth, not on the truth that's in my head. Now, get it. With, put your hand right here and go, not this. I need not to rely on this truth. I need to rely on the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth that is in me. The spirit of God that is in me. The spirit of Yahweh that is in me. When he breathed into me, his spirit, his presence filled me. And I need to rely on that truth. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Well, let me ask you this. When's the last time your imagination was blown? When was the last time Yahweh spoke something to you and you went, you had to grab your head to hold it together? O-M-G. You had to hold it together because He just exploded in you. A revelation of who He is. A deeper place in Him. A place you didn't expect to go or find yourself. But somehow He revealed Himself to you because all of a sudden you put things aside. These things are irrelevant. I, I want to know you, and I'm coming in. My hands are lifted, not because I want to lift my hands. I'm lifting my hands because I want to praise you. I'm lifting my voice, not just to hear myself talk. I'm lifting my voice because I want to honor you. And I'm going to rely on the spirit of truth, and my eye is going to see what it has not seen. My ear is going to hear what it is not. How am I a reflection of Christ when suddenly, when suddenly, Everything that is in Christ, I find it is beginning to reveal itself in me. He loved the Father so much. Think about this. Just the question I asked earlier this morning. Do you love God enough to change? Think about that. When Christ knew what his purpose was, it was to come and to redeem man. He was going to suffer. He was going to die on a cross. He was going to suffer on that cross. He was going to be raised again in three days. But he knew what it was going to take to get to that resurrection. There was a lot that had to happen before he got to the resurrection. A lot. We think, wow, three days in the tomb. And Christ was probably thinking, wow, 33 years of difficulty. Thirty-three years of defeating an enemy that's going to tempt me every single day to be everything except a son of God. You're hearing me this morning. And the only way that he could make it through those 33 years, again, in our mind, is three days. Wow, three days. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Three days. And then he rose again. Powerful, awesome. I think what's even more powerful is the 33 years he was able to survive simply by relying on the spirit of truth. The 33 years that he got up every morning and he said, I know what the world wants to do and I know what's going on in the world, but this is what I know. I know who my daddy is. I am of my father and my father is of me. This is what I know. And I'm relying on the spirit of truth in every single day because I'm focusing on him and I'm not getting caught up in those things that are, are irrelevant. 
How are we going to pay our taxes, Jesus? Oh, you're bothering him with that? Go catch a fish, man. Pull the coin out of its mouth. Give it to Caesar. How are we going to eat? What do you have? You're focused on that food stuff. What do you got? Well, we've got some fish and we got some bread. Spread it out. Stop bugging me with that stuff. We've run out of wine. What? What do you have? We have some water. You're wasting my time. Lazarus is dead. No, he's not. He's sleeping. Why do you take me? These are irrelevant things. They're not irrelevant to us because it's real, because he stinks. Do you know how bad we want good wine? Jesus said, Lazarus, get out of that tomb so I can get about my business. You know why he was able to do that? Because he relied on the spirit of truth. And somebody under the sound of my voice right now might be saying, well, yeah, but you're talking about Jesus. Your point? Well, he was the son of God. Your point? And you are? What, what? Hmm. Well, don't confuse me with that. But he was Jesus. We're not Jesus. Point. In fact, Scripture says he was tempted in all the ways that we were. We are. Do you know why he was able to rise above it? Because he did not rely on what he felt. He didn't rely on those garments of irrelevance. What he relied on was the spirit of truth in him that the Father said, this is what I created you for. You can do it. You can rise above every single thing that confronts you. Everything. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you even... Can we even comprehend what God has prepared for those of us who love him, those of us who will press in, and those of us who will say, you know what, all of these things are not important because, again, I cannot emphasize enough, we make things that are completely terminal in the sense that they will pass most things in a few days. We make those things so important in our mind we cause those things to become lifetime issues. And he says, I want you to see what you haven't. I want you to hear what you haven't. And I want your heart to be changed in ways you didn't think was possible. But do you love me enough to change? Do you love me enough to allow me to do this in you? Do you, do you love me enough to allow me to do a work in you that is so supernatural, it will shock you and everybody who knows you? And then the last thing says, don't get lost in what is folly. Man, do we do that. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I just yesterday watched uh, or saw, read an article. I'm not sure what paper it was. Everything's digital now, so I never know where it's coming from. But, the, um, but I was reading an article. Uh, what's the guy's name? Um, I can't remember his name, probably don't need to say it anyway, but I was reading an article from somebody that you would know if I said his name. I see his face, I can't remember his name. 
And he was just really uh, verbally destroying Christians, believers. Believing in a God that doesn't exist. They spend all their time. They give their tithe and offering. They go to church on Sunday morning. What they could be doing is, and he gives this list, and he just goes on this rambling statement of all the things that we could be doing instead of going to church and doing all of that. What they don't realize is, I forgot what the percentage is now, one of the things that the church is so incredible about because it's tax exempt, it's not, it's, we don't, the church itself is exempt from taxes, but the church assists, helps, ministers to more poor and needy than Medicare ever has. That's true. I can't remember the percentage now, but the government comes up far short of what the church does to minister to the needs of communities all around the United States and the world. And he goes off on this thing. We just close the doors. I don't, these people are wasting their time. And he just goes off on this thing. And he's mad because there are believers. Again, it, goes, it wraps around all these little argument things that are going on right now, whether it's abortion or whether it's racism or whether it's whatever it is. It's always these same hot points. And they're diving into all these things. And he just, just, just unloads on, on the Christians. And, oh, they're just destroying our country. And, oh, they're getting in the way of progress. And, oh, they're doing all of these things. And I'm thinking to myself, I say, I'm thinking to myself man, you are lost in folly. And here's the challenge. Again, let me read this scripture. He said, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him. When you are naturally minded, everything about the church, it doesn't make sense. And you will find yourself writing statements exactly like this man did. What good is it? Why should I go to church? It's just a waste of my time. Why should I bring my children to church? I've said before, I, I, I am bothered by parents who feel like it's the right thing to do to say to their children, it's up to you whether you go to church. I'm bothered by that. I'm bothered by that because if you say that to your child, why do you go? Because you've really never gotten the concept of what it is to walk with Christ. You walk with an idea. But not a relationship. Because when you truly have a relationship with Him... You will do everything you can to make sure your children have the same. So as I listened and as I read this person writing these things, he said, a natural person does not understand or accept the things of God because it just doesn't make sense to them. It's folly to them. For they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Let me tell you what, to be a reflection of Christ, what it means is, to position ourselves, to understand what those irrelevant things are in our life. It is to position ourselves to trust on the spirit of truth, to work in us, the spirit of God, to speak in us and to change us. To position ourselves to say, I love him so much, I'm willing to change. Even the hard things. I'm willing to adjust what I say, what I do, where I go, how I do it. I'm willing to do those things. And I don't count them as sacrifice. I count those things that I have to give up or I have to change, not as sacrifice. I count them as the glory of God working in me. But see, the natural person looks at the things of the kingdom of God. There are people that are even gathered probably in churches today, wherever they might be, but there's probably people gathered in churches today that consider, they're sitting there and they're thinking, man, I can't even believe I'm sitting here. Oh, my goodness. It's a beautiful day in Florida. Seas are calm. I should be out on my boat. I can't even believe I'm here. I should be out at the park. I should be wherever, watching whatever. When we process naturally, 
the things of the kingdom, it's, it's folly. It's just not important. We'll find reasons to not participate, to not engage, to not enter in. If you're married to someone or you're in a relationship with someone and they're always looking for an excuse not to be present in those things that honor the Father, I want to tell you today there's a need for them and my hope is that in them they will come to the place where their eye sees what they've not, where their ear hears what they've not and where their heart is changed to, this place, to the point where they come to Him. And it's no longer folly, but that you can't keep them away. I believe this about every church around the world today. I believe that the world, that people ought to be struggling, striving, pushing, fighting every way they can to gather together every Sunday morning. There's more buildings that we call churches in the world today than there are people to fill them. Shouldn't be that way. There should be more people trying to get in than there are buildings. There should be a striving of people. When we come to the place, when we get to the place where we are a reflection of Christ, what does it mean to be His? It means to be a reflection of His, which means that in every way, Father, I want to position myself so that You are visible in me. You are visible in my life. There are people that don't feel spiritual, spiritual today under the sound of my voice. You don't feel spiritual simply because you don't understand how to be spiritual. But I'm going to tell you what that means, what that is. And I think I put this on the app. But the roots of faith grow from having faith in God, period. Not by having faith in miracles, signs, or wonders. Let me read that again. The roots of faith grow. The fruit of faith grows from having faith in God. Period. Fruit does not come because I have faith in miracles, signs, and wonders. And I could dive into that a little bit more. What I mean by that is, and the reason I make that statement is, because it's important that we understand how we see what we do in our walk with God. Yahweh's called out to every one of us, and there is a very real Christ that redeems us, saves us, reconciles us to the Father. And I can tell you what we see, what we hear, what we participate in, what we become today. We shouldn't be gathering together today because we're hoping that maybe this morning He'll do a miracle in my life. But if we gather together because we say, I love God and there's no other place I want to be. It's out of that faith, it's out of that place that He will begin to change your heart. He will begin to cause your eyes to see and He will begin to cause you in every way to hear every word that He speaks. We are spiritual because we believe in a God who can do all things. And from that place, He grows us into a reflection of Christ. If I can position myself to believe Him, not get caught up in those things that are completely irrelevant, not allow those things to separate me from my opportunity to really express that He is God, he will begin to reveal a language in you that you will begin to speak. He will begin to reveal pathways for you to walk on that suddenly begin to lead you to places you've been looking for for a long time. Hear me today. It is His heart. It is His heart. It is His heart. 
for you to be a reflection of His Son, Jesus Christ. To be a reflection of Him. Now, you might say, well, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I, I can't get my mind out of those things that go on in my world and my life. Those are the things of folly. Define properly, categorize properly what those things are in your life. But you might say, you know what, all I can think about, every time I open my mouth, I'm just talking about, oh, this is going on in my world, this is going on in my world. I want to speak life to you today. I want to breathe into your spirit today. Hope. I want you to, again, inhale so deeply the pneuma of God that it changes the way you see everything. There is a very real language that the Father wants to speak to you in. And that language is personal to you. It's personal to Him. Position yourself to hear it. Amen.